Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. We are going to talk a little bit today about a topic that's not so halachic. It's much more kind of just social and um, a little bit more general to really the theme of the the entire um the entire series, but also the reason that Rabbi Pernick and I taught this class together, um, because so much of the experience of teaching this class with someone from a different denomination, someone someone of a different gender, some of, someone from a different uh, background growing up in Judaism to where we are today is is a lot about what we're going to what, what we're going to be diving into based on the episode uh, this evening. So. Um, I'll let Rabbi Goldstein in a second uh, talk as much as he would like, um, but I'll just introduce that that the topic that we're going to discuss today is really this idea of how someone in the from world talks about being secular and someone in the secular world might perceive or talk about someone in the from world. Um, we definitely see it a lot in pop culture, right? The fact that some of us today on in this class, for example, are watching a TV show of people who don't practice like us at all or anywhere even near how we practice. That's one form of this conversation. And another form of that conversation is reading books about people who have left the Haredi world or watching shows like Unorthodox and wondering how does this, how does this play out for somebody who's interested in that in that world of Judaism, and does everybody feel that way? Why do people leave? And it is, Rabbi Pernick and I actually talk about this quite a bit because he, um, he, he and I, when I will talk about finding interest in those things, he'll, he'll probably rightfully so critique the fact that if, if I'm interested in that, it's, it's more like a, Fetish isn't really the right word, but like a, a um, an excitement around a, a life that I will never understand, and the 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 intricacies of what you get to see when you watch a show or read a book from one person's point of view. And what I would say to that is, you're right; it's never a world that I'll understand. It's also never a world that I'll be able to ask questions about. Um, I don't get to daven in a Haredi shul because I'm not a man. So even though Rabbi Pernick or Rabbi Goldstein in this case could go into a Haredi shul, even if that's not their way of life, they could walk into a Haredi shul and no one would ask any questions. I can't do that. So any any type of culture that that I want to see from that world, a lot of it comes from books or from TV shows in, in more recent years um, about those topics. So that's something that we're going to speak about today, specifically based on the experience that Hode, uh, Hodaya? Oh, it was Hodaya, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting my character straight. Um, has, while she's teaching and the girls are asking her about being secular and why is she secular and where are her tattoos and all those kinds of things. Uh, Rabbi Goldstein, did you want to say anything before we open it up? Um, yeah, I say it's going through, first of all, I just say that, um, because from my own experiences, like I was grew up very, very far from the Haredi world. I grew up in modern, I didn't grow up modern Orthodox, but then I guess modern Orthodox, if that's, I should be labeled that for many, many, many years now for decades. 
Um, but I grew up in a neighborhood, there were a lot of non-Orthodox Jews, but no, no Haredi Jews. I mean, some people, they wear a uh, shtick, they wear a black hat uh, to shul, but like, it was less than, well, maybe it wasn't so shtick, but, like, but they weren't, weren't Haredi, but they were like professional lawyers and doctors, but on Shabbat, they wanted to um, wear a certain thing. And um, when I was in Israel, for a number of years in yeshiva, I studied in like a Dati Lumi yeshiva, um, which is close to like a modern Orthodox yeshiva. So I didn't have really any um, contact with Haredim. What I did have is the Datilumi take on the Haredi world. And it, it wasn't so uh, wasn't so positive. So because the Datilumi, there's Zionist. Zionism is incredibly important. It's also incredibly important to me, but it's also for them, it's an important religious value. Um, working and building the state of Israel um, and being a part of the economy and the culture of Israel is also an important value. And of course, we're painting, you know, groups with, I just want to name that we're painting groups with broad brushes. And um, I think that's like the only way to have this type of conversation. But just, uh, just want to point out that anytime we mention a whole group like modern Orthodox or religious Zionists or ultra Orthodox Haredi, there are so many nuances and exceptions and different groups within, um, within those broad groups. Just want to point that out there. Um, but there's, uh, and so in the modern, in the uh, Dati Lumi, religious Zionist world, they don't hold Haredim into such high, high respects. So I came out of that wonderful experience is learning in a religious Zionist yeshiva, um, not having such a good attitude toward, toward Haredim. And then um, I didn't, never really met them. No, we would like drive through Meisharim and like there'd be the settlement next to us, which is full of Haredim. You know, the ones there and the rabbis always make jokes about like Haredim don't work or maybe. And then when I got to um, actually my, my yeshiva in, uh, in America, Ove Torah, which is it's much more left wing than the Dati Lumi yeshiva I was in Israel. Um, through different reasons, we got, I got um, connected with uh, a Bell's Dayan, and Dayan is a rabbinic judge from the Hasidic sect in Bells, who lives in Borough Park, grew up in the, the entire sect, first language was Yiddish, second language is Hebrew, third language is English that I learned at 18, um, and he's still in that sect. Um, there's a teacher, Hovave, very famously, Rabbi Katz, who left um, the Hasidic world many years ago. But this other person I'm talking about is very much still in the sect. He has a synagogue in Borough Park, um, very much within that world. And I spent um, a lot of time talking to him. I spent a Shabbat with him and his family. And it just opened up to the beauties of that world, um, which was not quite what I was expecting. Also, you know, the law of very difficulties in the world, very strict, very strict gender roles. Um, so just from my own perspective, it's interesting because um, I only knew about the Friday world based on kind of what I was told and what I read. And then having... I had the opportunity to go into the Haredi world. I wouldn't say no one asked any questions, but, That's but, fair. but I could still, I could still uh, dominate with them and be at their, at their table. And I got um, uh, a different, I had a different understanding um, of that world and appreciated it in a more nuanced way. Certain things I didn't know and didn't appreciate, which I appreciated more. And other things was I got to know and saw that sometimes the stereotypes um, all right. So, so I will, I am now. I will share a story that because you weren't an hour LaFell year, you weren't, you weren't part of this group when this happened, but 
Um, I think I've shared this story before to this class, but many, many moons ago, many episodes ago, um, we were talking about Minyanim. We were walking through the streets of Jerusalem with our group, and it was a random evening that we had off. And um, there are Minyanim that kind of start every like 20 minutes all around Jerusalem, and people get pulled into those different Minyanim. And I was walking with kind of my closest group of friends from uh, this fellowship who happened to be male and happened to also be modern Orthodox, though no one would have known that. And some guy walks out of what looks like a hole in the wall and says, can you help us make a minion? And I said very loudly, oh, me? Obviously, they were not talking to me. And this group of guys just went inside and Davin and left me on the street <laughs> to wait for them to be done Davining because I could, I had no place to, to go in. Um, and, and I had no, there were no bad feelings about that experience, but it just shows kind of the access point, um, that, that sometimes women don't have into specifically those kind of niche experiences, uh, in more orthodox sects of, of Judaism. So, um, so when Rabbi Pernick is back, you can ask him how that minion was. I, I have no idea. Uh, anybody have any thoughts on this topic or based on the episode, want to bring anything up having to do with this particular moment in the episode? Yeah, Denise, go ahead. So I consistently get the feeling that Hodaya is kind of torn and that there's a part of her that's still very drawn and connected to the Haredi world. Uh-huh. I feel like she has kind of a very deep faith, even mm-hmm. like way back in the beginning when her niece came and she went to the hotel and all that. Um, and it kind of tugged on her heart, but that wouldn't have happened if she didn't feel it. You know, um, I think her struggle is a lot more with the culture and with the people and the rules and all that than with like the religious and the faith and with God. And, um, I, and I, I feel like in reality, those are very much two separate things that get conflated together, but they're really two threads, not just for Hodaya, I think for all of us. And I think that even when people have really strong feelings about movements and shuls and all that kind of stuff, I find that it's a lot more about the people and the vibe than it is about God. So um, that's just my observation. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I'll let Rabbi Goldstein uh, chime in, but it's a very interesting point and one that I think plays out in many of these different characters, right? What does it mean for them to be part of their Judaism based on the experience that they're having, whether it's with their friends or for Nati around his mom dying, right? Around situational um, moments as well. <laughs> I, Brian Goldstein hasn't actually seen the entire series. He just watched this episode to be at this class. So I'm ruining a bunch of things for him. It's okay. It'll be fine. He's fine. He gets, he's fine. Um, you'll be okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that so much of, of the, the Judaism, right? And I put it in quotes because I don't mean the rituals or the halacha or anything around their actual practice, but their their religion to them is so much around where they are, what they're experiencing. Did you want to say something, Rabbi Goldstein? Um, yeah, and that, so I just just back my background for Srubim. I seen the first season years ago, and then prepare for this. I watched the third season. I was like, oh my gosh, um, yeah, 
Fat, Yafit, Yafat, and Avner, Avi, Amir. You're doing Amir. great. Yeah. Yaf- are married, they're pregnant. And like the last I knew that um, Yafat and, and had a crush on Nati. Okay. So I was like, yeah, you're, you're behind. You're like behind and on time all the same yes. in the moment. But yeah, so I do want to point out Hudayah's character, um, if I recall from season one, that she didn't come from the Haredi world, but she came from um, the Dati Lumi world, the religious Zionist world, which she, yeah. it's interesting. She's, she, she didn't really leave it though. I feel she didn't leave it socially, but she left the ritual part. Look who her friends still are. And at least in season one, I don't know if she does it in season three. She still went to Shabbat meals with them. Okay. She didn't keep halacha. She didn't keep Shabbat. Um, she considers herself not religious anymore, but socially she's still with her same friends, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hulia uh, pointed out and the show was pointing out that the speaker um, that they brought to essentially to scare the girls into staying religious. Um, you know, just told them how her- terrible it was to be terrible. Her experiences she had being secular, you know, all the parties she went to, yeah. you know, all yeah. the possible dangers that could have happened. And yeah. the other was like, okay, but what about all the wonderful things about being Jewish? So in Hodeyat's character, character, I absolutely agree with you that there, Denise, so there's still like a draw to maybe like the the essence the spirituality of being jewish and for whatever reason she's at this point has kind of dropped the halachic the strict ritual aspects but so oh someone who did that but socially <laughs> but socially um she's still very much in the like modern or like a religious zionist crowd so um no interesting socially she's still there personally she's not but she clearly has um, a yearning for Judaism and spirituality. Yeah. I also think what we see in the high school specifically, and this would be a place where I'm sure people will have opinions, so feel free to share them, um, that there clearly is a reason that this person was brought in, and that was to make sure that the girls who are in this school feel as though there's a reason to remain Dati, right? There's a reason to remain within the confines of um, of a religious society because they're about to be kind of a little bit more out in the world and beyond those boundaries. And so here's a person coming in and saying, I was so lost. I couldn't, I didn't know who I was. I just went to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And all of a sudden I found religion. And now I don't think that's a bad story. I think a lot of people have kind of that, that crazy side of them and end up finding religion somehow. But as Hodaya points out, even in front of the whole school, that's not a reason, that's not the only reason to remain religious, right? You can, there are plenty of people who are religious and still enjoy sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? There, those are still things that are present, even if you are in that kind of society. So I think that the, the tension here is what was the, what was the reason? What was kind of the, the hidden agenda behind having this woman come in? And what story did she have to tell to these students as opposed to then when Hodaya was in front of her classroom telling them, yeah, I worked at a bar. I, you know, I've never done drugs a day in my life. And yet I decided that I wanted to be secular. And sure, I have a teeny tiny tattoo, but it's nothing crazy that you might be expecting, right? So all of those kind of myths 
um, went, went away. Any other thoughts or questions? You can also bring something else up in the episode if you want. I know that Robbie Pernick usually opens with that and I have to like reel him in. So if anybody has any, yeah, Michael. You want to comment on Yifat's behavior? She was a little, shall we say, conniving this week on multiple grounds. You know, I thought someone was going to bring that up. I don't actually think she was conniving. I think that's how the business world works. <laughs> I mean, when you're looking, when you're looking for a job or when you know that you have to get paid more money, um, you look elsewhere, right? And if your current position can't give you what you what you want, you go somewhere else. Um, but so she I also didn't... caused Amir to lose his job. Granted, yeah. she had a replacement, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree with Michael in some ways. She was, she was all for the best. Yeah. She was had the best intentions, but she lied to her husband. Um, went behind her husband, even to get her husband to something he'd be better at and whatever. She lied to her husband, um, you know, by, by going through, um, what's his boss's name? Ruth? 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 I still forget. Oh, the Rayut, the, the, the friend? Yeah. Rayut, her the boss, that's the counter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. By going, by conspiring with her against his back, um, and then so I didn't feel like it was so bad. You know, you look for another job. You know, you find an offer here. You kind of like negotiate one offer against another offer. That's just kind of what you do. Um, but lying to her husband, saying, "Oh, what a great, too bad you're fired." But now we have this. Now you can learn cola and get a stipend. Right. You know. Well, that, that I felt was uh, and interestingly, it, dynamics. interestingly, it so came from the wife, right? Which again goes back to this kind of stereotypical religious life kind of atmosphere where the woman and this is in the show. I'm not saying this is truth and like Torah Misenai, but that the woman, the wife, wants her husband to be a Torah scholar and not a secretary. Right. And wants to make sure that her husband is studying Torah and that that's his role in the world and all of those things. And so when he, you know, when he doesn't do that, she tries to find a way that he can go back into that role, even though it's so clear that she's doing that for her own maybe image, but also because that's what she thinks he should like and should enjoy doing. And yet for him, he seems to be very fulfilled in the job that he's doing, even though it has nothing to do with learning Torah. Um, and I can like hear Rabbi Pernick in my head saying, nobody really wants to learn Torah and he should learn Torah and all these things. But it doesn't seem from the show that that's really his main goal. Um, Rabbi Barbara and then Jeff and Linda. Um, you know, I, I sort of found the whole business thing uncomfortable. Yeah, because if I had, I used to be a banker (laughs) and if I had a client Uh that did business that way, even though it was for a good charitable thing, yeah, it just, it's like taking a bribe. It's, it's extorting money Mm. for a purpose that has little or nothing to do with your business. Yeah, that is definitely what it seems <laughs> is happening for sure. Yeah. And so, and then the fact that it, that the Colwell money gets used to support Amir 
also I find troubling. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I just find the whole thing that she manipulated that. Yes. And I, I also think, boy, I'm just on this tonight. Um, I also think that she was not really upfront with Nissan. I mean, she sort of said, oh, you know, then I'm going to have to look. But I think in Nissan's mind, she was going to think about it some more and they were going to come back together again hmm. and talk about it. Because that's how things work. I I think that's how things work in business. Yeah. You know, you talk about something and you come back to it. And, you know, she was just ready to jump ship. And I think it would have been more legitimate for her to say, you know what? It's in Yerushalayim. I don't want to be driving so much now that I'm pregnant. Yeah. I just think she could have made it better. But I was bothered by all the business stuff. And yeah. I know it's different in Israel than it is here. <laughs> it's definitely, definitely different. We could have, I didn't even think about this, Rabbi Goldstein. We could have done a whole thing on Jewish business ethics because there is, I mean, and Rabbi Barbara, you know this for sure, but there's a whole, there's, there's a whole, um, I don't know, canon of, of Jewish business ethics and how you're supposed to treat um, another person in business, Jewish or not Jewish, you know, how you're supposed to be in business as a Jew yourself. Um, and when you're supposed to pay someone and how you're supposed to be truthful about certain things. And I didn't even think about that as a, um, as a theme, but this class could have definitely surrounded that. Um, and you're right. I think it was manipulative. I do wonder manipulative in the, um, in the Kolel piece. I do wonder though, and I have not, I have not been in enough jobs, nor have any of them been jobs where I've done what Yifat did um, to, to know really that this is how it works. But I do imagine that when when you are offered something and it's not settled yet, if you do leave your other job, that there probably are things that you can't say until everything is settled. So that's at least how I felt it was going down with Yifat. I thought I felt like she was just trying to give as much as she could without knowing that everything was like, as they would say in Israel, sagur, like it's completely taken care of, you know, the signature on the downline. And I also have to say, you know, it's been a long time. It's been over 30 years since I was in business. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I just think that, I don't know. I just think there was a way that maybe Yifat could have been a little more open and less left the door open a little more i feel like it's just like one day she just decided that's it you know i'm gonna get they offer me more money and i'm gonna get more money see another thing she could have done was gone to nissan and said to her look i'm not trying to pressure you but these are the situations and laid out you know it's in yerushalayim it's more money yeah yeah my husband doesn't work My husband's yeah. being a secretary and getting coffee for people. Right, right, right. Okay, so I'm I'm done. I'm smart. no, no, no. Thank you for sharing those things. I will call on Jeff, but thank you for sharing those things. Well, we don't know that Ifat did not sign a non-disclosure agreement with her new boss. But we don't know that. And, and sure. as far as extortion goes, my mother used to put money in the blue box, and a guy used to come to the house every once in a while and collect the money. And he didn't beat us up. So that was kind of a form of extortion, too. 
No, but what I really wanted to say uh, seriously is when Ifat went to uh, Ruit to to get Amir out of that job, she didn't yeah. really know what was going to happen. I mean, she didn't know there was going to be a a a, a, a scholarship yeah. set up. So it was kind of like taking a chance, you know, with uh, Amir not having a job at all. Right. I guess that's what I it made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, and interesting that she was okay with him not having a job at all, as opposed to having that job, right? That job made her, to use your words, made her so uncomfortable that she was willing to to get a raise and change her job, as opposed to letting him stay in this job and still be bringing home the bacon, so to speak, though probably not actually bacon. Croissants. And also, I just I agree with Barbara that... <laughs> Just like taking advantage of that, like American. Of course, of course, they had to put in the American with like the heavy accent. Yeah, yeah. This was the second American with a heavy accent. Also, the first, yeah, the first one was in the first season, I think. Anyway. Oh right, the I think the first episode wasn't the woman. The woman wearing tefillin. Tefillin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And yeah, I also agree. This seemed like very, very dishonest. I don't know if extortion is the right word. I don't know, Um, but. you know, he was couldn't get hit. He was wasn't able to get his permits. Or she's like, okay, donate to this colo. Um, my friend, subtext. My friend can now can work at, can be a student at the colo and get a scholarship. And my other friend can be happy. Their husband's not giving me a secretary anymore, even right. though he really likes it and she likes him in the job. Um, yeah, for sure, that seemed very very dishonest. And all these red alarms went off in my head. It's like, how could she possibly do that? Who's this a Rabbi Katz guy? Is he going to be able to kind of like uh, you know grease the wheels a little bit? Maybe sometimes that's how it works in Israel, but it seemed like a bribe. And that is, is absolutely a sore. If it was a bribe, luckily, that's completely a sore. Um, granted, I saw it was a TV show. We have to move the plot along. Fine. But that really, really brought up a lot of red, the kind of red flags in my mind. Okay. Well, where'd Rabbi Shots go? Yeah, I'm Probably here. I, my internet just glitched for a second. So I didn't hear everything you said, but I'm sure it was very, yeah, okay. very good. Uh, yeah, Robert. I just wanted to mention a quick story um, relating to uh, Horea's uh, issue about, you know, not everything bad is, uh, being secular is not all bad. You know, there are a lot of positive things. So in New Orleans a few years ago, we have a little celebration called Mardi Gras and with about 10 days of parades. and, And actually Mardi Gras, unlike 30, 40 years ago, it went way out of the French Quarter, and it's very family-oriented. Hmm. So even m- most rabbis, most um, uh, Jewish community in New Orleans go at least to the family-oriented praise. Hmm. And it doesn't get risque until you head down into the French Quarter. So I went to this lecture sponsored by one of the Chabad's in town. I won't mention which one. And it was comparing Mardi Gras with Purim, which yeah. happened around the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it starts off with Mardi Gras is really awful. It's so sinful and um, it's horrible. But Purim, ah, I'm a chaya. You know? <laughs> and it's, and um, it was totally demonizing uh, the, 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 the uh, very um, important cultural festival in the Orleans, or you could say Catholic festival, that, um, and, um, and, and not looking at anything positive in it for little kids, for adults, you know. And so it's the same kind of thing. Mardi Gras isn't that de- evil. Um, and so the secular world isn't that bad. And um, 
I think Hodea Hodea trying to uh, uh, tell her students that or uh, rep, um, uh, answer back the uh, speaker uh, was very thoughtful. Yeah. Do you want to say something? Yeah, fascinating. I'm um, so I think we're like. I was going to mention this before. It seems like in our conversations we're having this almost like a dichotomy: the secular world and and religious Judaism, religious. And I'm I'm going to push back a little bit, but Robert said, but I still want to frame it. Um, then you'll see what I mean. Um, partially agree and partially partially disagree. Um, so in again, putting talking about broad strokes in the Orthodox world, there's the generally two different broad paths of how to deal with the secular world, secular culture. One is, I guess, the Haredi approach is build big walls, speak different languages, um, different names, of course, Jason is whatever, different names, different clothes, um, and have very, nothing to do with the secular world. And you have to work, you work, but you work in order to make money. Um, and it's an approach because um, people see all the, and there is quite frankly, a lot of immorally, immor- some, immor- some immoral um, morality in secular world out there. And um, if you see it, you know, like we don't want to have anything to do with it at all and just preserve um, ourselves like in our, our kind of holy neighborhood, our holy community. And the other, um, the other way, which is actually a smaller section of Orthodox Jews is more, this is talking about America, is more modern Orthodox. Um, and in theory and practice, it might be a little different, but in theory, there's this concept called Torah Umada, right? Torah and, and secular studies, we'll call it, Torah and science. Um, and so in theory, what it is, okay, we have Torah, Judaism, spirituality, and everything good about secular society. And in this Torah Umada, it means secular studies, whether it's literature, music, mathematics, uh, I don't know, computers, um, philosophy, but it's also like on a very intellectual level, right? It's not like watching TV or going to the movies, unless the TV is like, you know, a great documentary. Or maybe, okay, or maybe like Srugin that has like, you know, we can have like a conversation and have like important issues about it. Um, so I would say that there is a pasuk um, in the Torah and Sefer Breshit. Does everyone remember that in Parashat Chayisara, <coughs> excuse me, Parashat Chayisara, um, Sarah dies. And Abraham um, goes to to the Marat Mechpilah, the cave, um, the cave where we eventually bury Sarah. And Zayim, before he buys it, does anyone remember what he says to to the locals there? What line he says? He says, "Ger v'toshav anochi imechem." I'm a sojourner and a resident among you. Sojourner on one side and a resident on another side. Rabbi Soloveitchik, um, Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik, we call the Rav in modern Orthodox circles, just the rabbi, um, he has this take. He says, to be a Jew is to be both. You're a ger, you're a stranger. Jews are separate from society. Jews are separate from society. We have our Torah, we have from the Orthodox perspective, we have our, our halachas, we have our laws, we have our fences against the outside world. And then we're a Toshav. Other hand, we're also a resident among you. We're a resident amongst you. And therefore, being a resident, we also can take the best of secular society. And I would say the best of secular society is philosophy, music, good movies, good documentaries, 
you know, anything that will enrich our lives, spiritually enrich our lives, intellectually enrich our lives, and then leave everything else. So my philosophy, and it's sometimes harder to do it than it is to talk about in theory, but to take everything great about the secular society that we live in and jettison all the rest. So I'm in New Orleans and doing a little bit of sightseeing. So I got here last Wednesday and I'm here till last Monday. So on Monday afternoon, I went to um, the French Quarter. So Robert knows much more the French Quarter is than I suppose I do. And I went to this great place, Cafe du Monde, where they have um, this type of donut called beignets. Wonderful. Rabbi Josh certifies them. Very you, know nice. that, you know that most of the people on here live in New Orleans, right? Oh, really? I don't. Okay. The only person I know Rabbi is Pernick, Rabbi Pernick's community comes and my community. So there's a lot of New Orleans on here. Okay. Okay. So everyone knows what beignets are. But yeah. then, so I went to, I was walking through the French Quarter and I had to because I'm a tourist. And how can I not? I went to Bourbon Street. Granted, it was 637 at night. So it was before it got dark. And also in the summer, I wasn't so busy. Um, I was told what to expect. Some people, I think even Sue Ray told me you can skip it um, because it's just very <laughs> seedy. And I had to see it because I just wanted to see it. But like blocks and blocks of loud seedy bars and I'll just say it, strip clubs, you know, every so often. Um, you know, I was turning, looking in the bars. It was, there, everything was empty pretty much because it was too early. But it's not a place I'd want to be at the dark. Also, it's COVID. COVID, COVID. <laughs> early and it's co- also because of COVID. Yeah. It's not a place that I would really want to be with after dark. And, you know, I felt even a little uncomfortable just walking down the street. I saw it as I was doing it from like, um, observing it from a sociological perspective. I wasn't going to get a drink there. I you were doing to... a study. What? You were doing a study. You were doing That's research. Study. Fine. I was seeing it as an outsider from yeah. as the gear part, the, sojour- the, um, the sojourner part and not the resident part. And so I would say that like, Bourbon Street festivities is not something a Jew should be taking, sorry, North, any Jew really should be taking part in. Um, Mardi Gras itself, I don't know. There's family parts of Mardi Gras. I can't speak about what Mardi Gras is, but traditional Mardi Gras, at least it's stereotypical, what I think of Mardi Gras, um, that's not the type of thing that I think that Jews should be a part of. There's Torah, there's secular society, the good things about secular society to enrich our Torah and enrich our religious lives and kind of bring out new meanings in the Torah and, you know, getting drunk and giving out beads and, you know, just like gosh muse. I feel like but that's I, a particular society from my perspective that, you know, that we can live, they can leave. Um, so I, I think, say like a shav, but there's like a line from my perspective. But I think that I, I get it. And I think that there is, there is something to be said for that not meaning that you're not Jewish, right? Like Rabbi Pernick went to Mardi Gras last year, right? And, and it doesn't make him any less of a Jew. So I think that there are certain ways in which I, I love the idea of the Gera and the Toshav and how we need to like understand our place in both of those um, kind of sociological arenas of our lives. And I think that especially given the secular and the, if we're going to just take the extremes, the secular and the religious worlds that are being discussed in this episode, one of the things that I would hope that both, um, both worlds would know is that the secular Jews are not 
not Jews, right? They're just Jews choosing to be Jewish in not a ritual halachic manner. Whereas the Haredi Jews are no more Jewish than the secular Jews. They're just practicing more and might look more from a stereotypical perspective, but they're not any more Jewish. And so I think that having those experiences out in the world, yeah, I think, you know, depending on appropriateness, could we say this is something not to be involved in or this is something to be involved in? Sure. But in this, in the, in the scheme of things, when you look at the outside world versus Maya Sharim or versus, um, my gosh, why can't I think of super from in Israel? Um, Nate Brock. Nate Brock. Brock. Thank you. Gosh, it was like on the tip of my tongue. Um, that that there is there is an an element of the, those fences really becoming walls, right? That instead of just having boundaries, now you've really just decided this is my world completely. And I think there's problems with that too, because you need to know, you know, that girls exist if you're going to marry one, for example, which is a thing that you know, in, in the most, most, most religious of societies, you don't even talk to a person of the opposite gender until you're about to marry them. So th- that, that kind of experience, I think, uh, does more harm than good. And those, that, that's where I would, I don't know, that's where I would push up against you a little bit. Um, thank you, Rabbi Chas. I just want to clarify. Thank you, Rabbi Chas, for that clarification. Maybe I misspoke or mis- my communicate, didn't communicate as clearly as I would like. I didn't mean to imply that, you know, someone who goes to Mardi Gras or like whatever is. Who no, you didn't say that. Yeah. I was just oh, making oh. it clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, you know, you're Jewish. If you're Jewish, you're Jewish. But I was saying, I, I thought like, it's not like if Jews want to hold, should be holding themselves to certain values. Yeah. That's like not the place that like a Jew should be going to. But it doesn't mean if you go, you're not Jewish. That's not what I was saying. But all. see, Mardi, Mardi Gras in a strict sense is a Catholic uh, thing to celebrate, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Everything the opposite of being, uh, you know, uh, of, of their uh, savior, you know. Right, it's uh, like Halloween, right? It's the same it's kind the, of it's idea. The, it's the day before Ash Wednesday. And the thing is, um, it, uh, the parades, the French Quarter is the French Quarter. But the rest of Mardi Gras in the last 35 years has been, is actually very, uh, it's great for kids to get, uh, gifts is, is very celebratory and it's very it's become very secular um, and so from a Jewish point, uh, uh, participant or someone interested it's really to celebrate what makes New Orleans unique yeah and it's culture it's, right? yeah and um, it's, it's music it's uh, so and that's why Josh Perner could go to go to it and uh, be with his friends, or you know, and uh, not worry about um, seeing stuff he shouldn't see, because um, um, that's on Bourbon Street. But in yeah. in Battery, in the suburbs where the parades are going on, everything's fine. <laughs> and so, but if you just if you uh, stereotype the secular world as being very evil, totally, and, uh, and uh, sinful. Then, um, then it's really you. You uh, try. You stop trying to understand the rest of the world that you're not, maybe not part of. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, if I was here for Mardi Gras, I mean, I'm sure it's, I would do it as a New Orleans experience. 
um, by one go to Bourbon Street, you know, because uh, from what I like the wild experiences. But parades, you know, okay, like you know, a parade, yeah. a celebration. I would be here. And culture, like, oh, culture is also to go back to our conversation last week. Culture is also very different than ritual observance, right? Going into even the Rakhonik and probably articles you would disagree with me, um, but going into a church just to see architecture is very different than going into a church for mass, right? That's a very different experience. Um, even if neither are supposed to be what you're doing, there it's still very different experiences. Um, and so, same with, I mean, it's how we how we talk about Halloween if that's happening in your community, right? That if you're not celebrating the holiday, you're participating in the social cultural aspects of things. Um, Rai Barbara asked, did we talk about Nati bugging? Um, what's her name? I can't remember her name now. About the mole that she has on her neck. No, we didn't talk about that. Tahila, um, isn't it? Tahila. Or... Sure. I'm really bad with names, so I <laughs> probably I can picture her, but I don't remember. Um, so no, we didn't talk about it. Um, what do you want to talk about, my Barbara? <laughs> I mean, obviously, the way he went about it was like a little pushy. He's a doctor. My family's made of doctors. So that kind of thing was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's that's like what they do. But I guess the way in which he had the doctor come to the show, that was like a little bit much. Um, though it was nice to see not to care about someone other than himself for once. Like that was such a lovely thing that he was really worried about her. And um, that's not usually his MO. So, but, but the way that he worries about her yeah. is he sends her awful pictures which is a very scary thing to get. Yeah, that's and true. It really has to do with his bedside manner, which is totally <laughs> lacking, except for Mrs. Schwartzman. Right, um, right. You know, yeah, I, mean, I think it was probably like a WebMD type article, you know, that tells you like, if you see this kind of, which isn't, no one should Google anything if you have anything. I'm, right. I do I'm, it every time, but you shouldn't do it. But yeah, I think, I mean, I'm sure that's exactly what it was in terms of, you know, him trying to get her to just see what the, what the issues might be. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's invasive and it's, it's pushy. And, but then when she tells him that she's decided to go instead of just being, Oh, great. Then he spills the beans about, about the friend coming and looking at her. And that to me was what was really invasive. I don't think he said, I don't think he said anything about the friend coming. He just said, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he could have just gone with it. That just seems to be that, you know, yeah. I think he's, he's just a little bit socially confused. Um, But I I don't know how to raise my hand because I'm on my phone. That's okay. But I just wanted to, to comment on, in general, I felt like the episode was, and it, I felt this in previous episodes too, that there was just a lot of unethical or not really unethical, but un- immor- unmoral, I guess, immoral, immoral kind of behavior on the parts of many of the people who are supposedly from people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's a TV show. <laughs> I think that there needs to be, you know, aspects of the show that become dramatic. Um, and I think that it, they're trying to convey them as humans also. So, you know, trying to get things to happen the way that they would want them to happen. Um, I, 
Yeah, I don't know that I can say that I, f- I felt like this episode was any more immoral than other episodes that have kind of had those elements of conniving behavior. But um, but it does seem to be that characters are are um, growing into and into their skin through some of these different elements of um, of kind of getting around the boundaries that maybe they should be holding. And yet they're all caring for one another. That was one thing I noticed about this episode, right? That even though it's not done in the best of ways, like Yifat is really trying to care for her husband and for her family. She doesn't do it in the right way, but she's caring for him. Nati is really for the first time ever trying to care for this woman who he's been seeing, which again, he doesn't do it in the right way, but at least he's trying to care for her. And even Rayut knows that she doesn't really need to to fire Amir. So she finds him the next thing that he can do. So she's not just firing him. So she's taking care of her friend. So I think that they are. And also Hodaya, actually. Like as a teacher, I would never in front of my students reveal that kind of personal information ever. Because those are boundaries you don't cross. But I think what she knew in that moment was if I share this, I'm giving them a window into life that they don't actually know anything about. And so I'm doing them a service. So there too, she cares about the life that they would be living, even if she's doing it kind of in the wrong way. And she was upset about the person that came, the Dati lady that came that right. was speaking about secularism or whatever. Right, that she, right, exactly. She was upset about the, her p- providing only a, a, a jaded uh, perspective. Totally. Totally. Right. And that all secular, all secular people must just be off the deep end. Yeah. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I agree that, that they, that their intention, that they are, weren't malicious. They were all well-intended. Yeah. yeah. But still, I felt like, you know, if it was just, if it wasn't a from Jew, if it was just, a, if it was a secular Jew, then it wouldn't be necessarily considered as uh, unethical as, but because they were from that they needed to not do it in the way that they did it. Well, yeah. I, I, yeah. I would also just add, like, just like Ravi Shot said that it's TV, you know, we just have to get the story moving forward. And um, the writers probably aren't taught to themselves. And although altogether, I think it was a groundbreaking series for sure. A groundbreaking series in Israel. I think the first time, um, ever in Israeli television, there's so um, religious people or observing people, not as caricatures. Um, and actually as, as characters you want, you can sympathize with and like the, as real people. Having said that, it also TV. So like, um, I agree that so many things are done in this episode that were unethical, whether it was not the, whether it was, you know, um, uh, things with the job or like taking advantage of that rich American from Boston it's so many things that were not didn't seem to be ethical on the surface. Um, I, I wasn't reading into it so much that oh, they're religious, they shouldn't be doing that. No, they shouldn't be, but it, you know, it's TV. But I also like to add that I don't think um, it should make a difference if they're religious or not. If they're doing something wrong, it's religious. I, I'm going to stop using the term religious and I'm going to use the term observant because it's not the same thing. Um, shouldn't make a difference if they're observant or not. Um, if they're doing something that's ethically wrong, whether you're secular or observant, it's it's ethically wrong. And I can see that it's um, more kind of shocking, more in your face when someone's observant and does something that's wrong. But if someone who's not observant doesn't want, does something that's wrong, just makes it as equally 
um, equally wrong. Yeah. Any other thoughts, questions, comments? This is more of like a meta topic than we've had in the past. Yeah, Jeff. I was just thinking uh, in regards to what's going on today in America, yeah. the school, the, the girls not being told that there are two sides uh, to the story in terms of the secular world. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me that a lot of that's going on vis-a-vis uh, -vis American history, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea that, that the, that I'd have a daughter say in a school like that and, and she wasn't, even at that age, maybe find out there are two sides to a story and they, they should be able to uh, get the facts and make up their own minds and not, not have just propaganda. That, that's to me upsetting too, whether it's a religious thing or a historical or whatever it is. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that that's part of what Hodaya was getting at, right? She wanted to make sure not just for her own image, but for the fact that they know that that you can be a really good person and very connected to your Judaism and still believe in the country that you live in and be secular, right? And and knowing, as you're saying, kind of both sides of that story or or at least just about something that's not who you are um, allows you to, to form your own opinions. And I think that where it becomes tricky, specifically in the religious world, um, though I will say, even growing up in an extremely conservative Jewish home, the the amount of students who I knew after day school who went to Israel and became super from it felt the same way to those parents as someone in the in the uh, let's call it Haredi though that's not really what we're talking about here but like the the very Orthodox world becoming secular it felt the same way because it's that shift it's just a shift that all of a sudden disrupts that which you know and therefore it's not like oh. We grew up reformed, so we're now we're really proud of our son who's modern Orthodox because he went up in status, right? No, that does not happen. I mean, it happens, but it's not, it's you're not looking to go up rungs of a of a ladder. So I think that hearing both sides of those stories is really important. And what people don't often think about is it's not necessarily going to mean that a person changes to be like the speaker. Right. If the if the speaker had told honest stories about being secular that were positive as opposed to just negative, all those girls in that school would not have automatically become secular. Right. Even if it sounded good, they they just would have known honest stories. So the, that balance, I think you're completely correct. That balance is very important. And I think that's where Hodaya's class ended up coming from. Michael and then Denise and then we'll wrap. Oh, I was just going to say when you made the comment about somebody going from reform to modern orthodox, uh, Rabbi Josh isn't here right now, but he would quickly have reminded you that was his story. And I think his folks are very proud of him. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. And that's why I use the example um, that I think that you can be you can be very, very proud and you can be very um uh, accepting of that journey, but it's not, you don't, you don't teach your kids to grow up in a reform household, hoping that they're going to somehow go up and you don't teach a kid in a Haredi world that they're going to somehow go down, right? There's no really real up and down, but on the gradient scale of observance, right, is what I mean, that there's, there's no level of you don't believe that you are growing up in a world so that you can become more observant, right? That's not how, 
at least that's not how I grew up in my Jewish identity. I was never told that I needed to be more than I already was. If you become more observant or less observant, that's your choice. And you should be if you want to be, right? But there's no... um there's no, there's no reason not to share that second side of the story because there's no bad results, right? You hope that you will be accepted and you hope that you are just finding your Jewish identity, um, which the Pernicks are obviously, you know, very glad that Josh did, which is wonderful. Uh, Denise. So I feel like, like there's a tendency within human beings, maybe in general, but very much within education to want to present these very stark black and white up and down, right? It just oversimplifies. And I feel like kind of trains people to be idiots on a certain level, you know, because life is complex. That's just the way it is. And I think educators in, I went to a modern Orthodox day school um, and I came from a all over the place home, um, and and across the board, they are uncomfortable with complexity. Yeah, and I and I think that's a real problem. I think that for all the talk we hear about in education about teaching kids this and that, I feel like educators themselves need to get comfortable with you know life is complicated. There's a lot of duality. There's a lot of triality and quadrality and they're not okay with it. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's across all different subjects too. It's not just them. Back to Jeff's point, right? We see it in history all the time, just teaching the history that's going to make the students in the classroom comfortable as opposed to the whole story. Um, And that's, that is definitely a problem. And I'll pass it over to Rabbi Goldstein in just one second. One of the things that I did when I was um, in rabbinical school was I was part of something called the I Center. And the I Center is, it stands for the Israel Center, not like the I Center. Uh, and you get a certificate in Israel education and you do a project. And one of the projects that I did was around the idea of not using generalities, right? Not saying it's the Palestinian-Israeli conflict because it's not every Palestinian, it's not every Israeli, right? There's much more nuance to that. Um, and really knowing what is behind that nuance, that's what, that's what allows our students and really everybody to learn a full story um, and not just pick the sides that are easiest for us to hear or easiest for us to swallow, um, but to know what's happening. And obviously, developmentally, it's not going to happen in kindergarten, but it could happen in third, fourth, fifth and upwards um, for people, for students to be able to know what those what those differences are and those full stories are. Rabbi Golson, you can have the last word. Uh, I would just add that um, as someone actually, not just as someone who's going to be teaching um, middle school and orthodox school, I would say that I value very much, very much value um, critical thinking and middle school at their level. I want them to take facts and really kind of judge them and think and analyze as much as possible. So every time of high school, um, whether it's Gemara history or literature, um, Sorry, all of Gemara, like it's not all of like rabbin, traditional rabbinical literature is um, about taking facts and analyzing it and thinking about it critically. Critically, I would also say that like it's, it's a school or whether it's home, um, if you have certain certain values that you would want them to to pass them on to your children, certain values that if you think that they are the correct values, are the values you want to live by, that the values you think they're 
Torah values. They're values you want to pass on to your, to your children. So I would say that there's a difference from like, kind of brainwashing and then giving people like kind of all different options. You know, a good, a loving parent and the after saying going through an orthodox education and orthodox um, upbringing, uh, you know, for whatever reason, someone goes on their own journey and becomes Haredi, becomes secular, becomes a reform or becomes whatever. Um, a, a loving family and loving parent will hopefully accept them and still love them no matter what. Family is family and realize that they took their own journey. Um, I don't know, but I would say within a school and a family context, trying to educate someone in your values. Um, I don't know. I think that's actually very, very positive. Doesn't meaning um, keeping from them other information, but emphasizing um, one's values. And that's, you know, that's how I will, you know, go forth in, in my teaching and, you know, you know, in my, in our arrival as well. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.